Good morning. So, please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Matthew 3.16 and Matthew 4.1-6. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I will dwell, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This Lenten season is a Anglo-Saxon word meaning to lengthen, which means, means to spend more time in leading up to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and ponder this time so that this time within the church when we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will have significance and meaning in our hearts. Uh, we won't just be kind of popping in and going, Ooh, yeah, and then it, it's over. It's a time of preparing our hearts for what God's bringing during this time. So we've been doing that some, and last week we looked at lengthening out this time and remembering habits of the heart. Like these habits of the heart that we should have year-round, and, and we do sometimes, but we are human creatures and we forget and we fail and we get distracted and and we fall away in many ways of these habits of the heart that help us in our relationship with God and so uh, this time and this season can be a time where we remind ourselves of these things that we once did and get back to them these spiritual disciplines that we need in our life uh, to feed ourselves to Ask God for that daily bread, all those things in our life. We need those habits of the heart where we can walk humbly with our God and remember how much he loves us. And we looked at that last week, uh, kind of repenting and returning and having that habit of our heart that we can have all year round where we're humbly walking with God, asking him to um, change us, transform us, and, and stay close to him. So we looked at that last week. And this week we want to look at that the Christian life is, is learning and growing in Christ. And that learning and growing process happens through testings, the testing of our faith. And so this is a good time to remember that. And I think a lot of Christians many times aren't prepared uh, for that their, their walk is going to be difficult. But Jesus 
We're going to look at his temptations and the testings in his life. And then we're going to look at that his followers also will, will be uh, tempted and tested. So as Jesus' life was had many hardships in it and difficulties and testings and trials and tribulations, uh, so will ours as his followers. They will have those. So we're going to, I'd say I titled this Times of, of Testing. And so Shalom read the scripture uh, that we have here about Jesus's temptation, his testing in the wilderness. And I wanted to include Matthew 3, 16, just so that you can see kind of what happened right before this. And I think it's very key. So we have Jesus being baptized. He immediately went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened. Saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And a, behold, a voice from heaven saying, here's the proclaimed word of God. The announced good news of God over his son, Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I want us to hear that. I want us to hear that today in the context of this scripture in this time of testing because what happens immediately after that is Matthew 4 verse 1. Even though there's a chapter division there, of course, this is just a letter, so it's just the next verse. So I just kind of want us to see that word being proclaimed of God over his son. And then in chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. Now, I want to first just look at those words. I want to look at basically the question before we even get into the specifics of what we might think the temptation was and the temptations that were to follow. I just want to look at this very first question that the tempter brings that is find this the satan the tempter the accuser he he says if you are the son of god and this phrase he repeats in the next temptation here if you are the son of god and there's a lie in that there's a lie in 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 even the question and this is the way Satan works. It might look like he's asking a question, but he's actually kind of making an accusatory statement. And very specifically, you might look at what was the word that God proclaimed over Jesus? This is my beloved son. Okay? So the, the, the lie in the question right away is, that word beloved is left out. You know, so it's a lie to even to begin with. If you are, it's questioning, but even in the question itself, it's full of deceit. If you are the son of God, it's not if you are the beloved son. That was the word, right? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's not on there. It's just if you are the son. 
this. So there's a lie immediately in the question. Beloved is left out. You know, you're here in the wilderness. You're hungry. Uh, what's the, you know, uh, the core of the son's identity, Jesus's identity? What's the, the, the base core of that? The base core of that is that he's loved by the father. They're one in love. That's the, the very thing that the tempter and Satan isn't going to remind him of, the, the lie in the question to, to leave that out. You're not loved for is in the question. You're not loved. You're in a dry place. You're 40 days and nights without food. You're in the dry place. You're in, you're, you know, deserts are not comfortable. You don't go there to enjoy spring break, right? So, you know. You don't wander into the wilderness. The Spirit's leading him into this hard place. And Christian lives will be like Jesus's in places that are hard. And Jesus is doing that right out after the Baptist. The Spirit's leading him to a place to be tested. He's there to encounter Satan and to defeat him, to overcome him. This is the will of the Father because the will of the Father is for him to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 5 says. So in those texts, he's coming to do that, so he's being led to do that. And while he trusts that he's right where God wants him, even in this hard, dry place, or will he listen to the tempter and fail? So we see comparisons between here uh, between uh, Jesus and the first Adam. The first Adam had the word of God brought to him, and that word was to, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord commanded the man, saying, now listen to this commandment of God, this word, this proclamation. This is over Jesus' baptism, but it's over Adam. Here's the word. You can say the commandment, the word of God, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I want you just to hear that before you get to, but of the tree of knowledge, don't eat from that one. I just want you to hear that first opening of that. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And then I want you just to look at what Satan says in Genesis 3.1. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden, question mark. Is this is what God said. You shall not eat of any, see the lie in the question? It's the same thing that he's doing with Jesus. Even the question itself is full of deceit, leading you into and away from the love and provision of God. He's not going to mention, you're the beloved son. He's not going to mention, oh, God provided all this for you, and you can eat from every tree of the garden? No, his very first little deceitful lie, and full of lies, you can't do anything but lie. Everything's lie, even his questions are lies. And Jesus doesn't listen to the lie. He passed the test. Aren't you happy? Aren't you glorious? He passed the test. See, Adam failed. He failed the test. He was lured into the question of, yeah, maybe we can't eat from any tree. And what's the focus on? Oh, it's on the one tree we can't. Oh, what's that? God's got something good for us that God's holding out for us. This one, one tree. We can eat from any tree. 
that's not the focus of the question. You can't eat from any. Even when they get the question right, they, they're led into that. What is God holding out on us? Why doesn't he love us? Why don't we have this tree that can make us wise, you know, give us something that God's not given us? Jesus, do you have something that God's not giving you in this wilderness? You're hungry. You could do this. You've got the power to do this. Will you act independently of God and move into your own plan? And Jesus says, no. No. And I want you to hear just maybe, uh, this is a Jesus storybook Bible. If you're a parent here, and I've tried to hand these out to people, but I haven't brought it up a little bit. But I got one right here who wants one. Who doesn't have one of these? Or has it? Which I hope you guys have June. Here you go great. The, the title of this is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the subtitle is Every Story Whispers His Name. After Jesus was baptized, he went straight into the desert. That might seem like an odd place to go, because as you know, deserts are very hot, and there isn't any food or water or places to stay. Jesus needed to get away by himself and be somewhere quiet and even lonely. He needed to be with his heavenly father to get ready for his new life. In the desert, Jesus thought about the secret rescue plan he had made with God before the foundation of the world. They both knew what would have to happen to rescue God's children. Jesus would have to die. There was no other way. It was the reason he had come. Now the old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden, remember him? He didn't want Jesus to rescue God's people, so he lied to Jesus. Are you really God's own son? He whispered, who are you? God must not love you. You don't need to die. Do it my way. Yes and no, Jesus says to the liar. I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. Jesus wasn't like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke. Jesus knew God loved him, and he would trust God no matter what. Amen? And, and I really believe this is at the core of what's happening here in all three of these temptations. Uh, uh, the author here doesn't bring up all three of them and the temptations. I'm not going to do that today. I think there are unique things that can be brought out, but I think the broad story is don't do it God's way. Don't go the hard way. Go the easy way. And the Christian life and the life Jesus is saying is follow me through times of testing and hardships and, and trials. Don't take the shortcut way. And so... I believe that's what God's doing in Jesus' life. But I do want to look at just at least this, this one, and I believe it's kind of all of these. Jesus is specifically, so I want to kind of dig down into what Jesus does say and how he does answer uh, this question with the word of God. David says that, you know, I've treasured, I've hid your word in me that I might not sin against you. I treasure it, I value it. So I think Jesus is valuing this. That's why I want you to see the end of three. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Is he treasuring that? Is he valuing that? Can we see the lie in the question right off the bat? That's immediately get the word, immediately get tested with it. 
did you, it's like uh, in school, I know we have some teachers here that were teachers, and, and uh, you know, you, you tell your students, uh, and, you know, at the end of the week, I'm going to be teaching all this, and you're going to be tested, right? You're going to be tested at the end of the week to see if it's in you, to see if you know it just kind of know about it, but know it. And the biblical testing is deeper than that. It's not just a written, I know about it and I can answer the question, but this testing in the Bible has to do with testing the Word of God that's implanted in you, and will you, through actions, not just a written, oral exam, but through your actions, prove out that that word is in you and you know it through your actions. So it's a testing of just pass or fail. There's no 80 or 70 or 90 or to the degrees. It's either pass or fail in the test. It is either carried out in action that you truly treasure the word and you're obedient into the word or you fail that test. And Jesus is at that point right now. It's cosmic in power right here. To fail means the failure of the redemption plan. And Jesus is 100% God, yes, divine, a new man on the scene that isn't born in sin. He is a new second Adam. So he has that newness that is there. Even David, we sang about, even in my mother's womb was I conceived in sin. All of us born, the great David, King David, conceived in sin in his mother's womb. It's past in sin. Sin is past from Adam. But in Jesus, very specifically conceived by the Holy Spirit, this new man, but he is also Mary's child from the womb of Mary, born the word is made flesh. He is all flesh. He is all man. And these temptations are real. Just like they would be for you. Every pull, every strategy, every darkness, every failure, every temptation from the time of Adam is conceived in the tempter. And he is a liar from the beginning. And he's crafty and he's powerful. And these temptations are powerful <clears throat> on Jesus. And they're cosmic. And it's if you are the Son of God. Turn these stones into loaves of bread. Provide for yourself. Act independent of yourself. Act to provide for yourself separate from God. And Jesus just simply quotes, and in all three of these temptations, this particular one he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and be like just saying, hey, I, I treasure God's word in my heart. But Jesus is also, and Matthew, in writing this, is pointing us back to something specific here. He's pointing us back to Deuteronomy. He's pointing us back to Israel. He's pointing us back to not just Adam's failure, but back to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Very specifically, it says Jesus was led into the wilderness. So you have that. You have the scene of wilderness. You have the scene of hardship and testing in the wilderness. You have the number 40, 40 years in the wilderness. Very clearly, Jesus was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. You have this parallel of this 
son of God who is very clearly an Israelite, a very Jewish mother and father born into an Israelite family coming to seek for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, his very specific calling. You have all these parallels, and so this parallel in the specific part of this, pointing back to Deuteronomy 8.3, the other two that he quotes and answers just right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, he just quotes the word of God to Satan, to defeat him. In this one, uh, he quotes the last part of Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And the first part of that, Deuteronomy 8.3, says he humbled you and led you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. So he's talking, he's bringing them back to when they were in the wilderness, when they were hungry, when the whole people of Israel had been led out of Exodus, in their Exodus, into the wilderness for 40 years. It's very much Jesus saying, you're in the wilderness, you're in temptation, and yet where Israel did all these things and didn't stay true to the Lord, Jesus is. So Adam was that first son that he created, but God speaks over Israel and says, Israel is my beloved son. Uh, he says it in several places. He had said it in the Exodus. In Exodus 4.22, he said, You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So Jesus is speaking this over the nation of Israel. This is my beloved son, Israel, like one, like these people are one under me. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest, fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out into the exodus with a mighty hand and has redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Can you see, can you see that? Israel being the beloved son of God, that he had set his love on them, nothing that they had done, but just God's choosing of them. I chose you, but it was because the Lord loves you. So he loves. And then when you get into the prophets, you can get into Hosea 11.1 1, and the Lord's love for Israel. Uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. He called Israel out of Egypt. He called his beloved son out of Egypt. This is the scripture that Matthew quotes about Jesus. Remember where God led Jesus to flee when Herod was trying to kill him? Where to? What country? Egypt led him to Egypt. Jesus grew up in Egypt. <laughs> and then you know what? God called Jesus from Egypt to come home after Herod died. Out of Egypt, he called Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate Israelite, and he's leading people very clearly here in our text out of 
Egypt. He's leading them out of a new exodus. He's defeating Satan, not just on the Adam's old failure and turns, but he's leading them like Moses led Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. But Jesus, in 40 days, accomplishes what Israel failed to accomplish in their testing in 40 years in the wilderness. And so Jesus is that fulfillment of Israel. It's very much Jesus is embodying all of Israel as the ultimate Israel in these 40 days and these temptations. And he is also embodying the new exodus. He's leading them out, not just of Egypt and of sin, but of sin completely. He's leading them out to defeat and destroy the works of Satan. This is what 1 John 3, 8 says. Uh, this is the reason that the Son of God appeared, John says, to destroy the works of the devil. What were those works previously? He said that they were sin in 1 John 3, in the previous verses. He says uh, that, is, that uh, whoever practices sin, John says, uh, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. So we as believers, we might stumble, we might fall, but we're not trying to get good at sin. That's what practicing at something is. He says if you're practicing sin, you can't be of God. You know, if you're trying to get better and better at your sin, you need to check your salvation. <laughs> because John just says you can't do that. And so he says if you're practicing sin, you're of the devil. And he says... Uh, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. And then he says the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 5, he says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. That's why he appeared, to take away sin, to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's embodying Israel, and he's embodying the new exodus from sin itself. Woo-hoo! Can somebody shout glory? This temptation that Jesus passed, this testing, Jesus is tested. You know, it says that the Satan left him. You think, well, did he just do it all right then? He said, no. He left him for a more opportune time. So this is good to know. Testing with Jesus didn't end right there. And when we pass the test, it doesn't end right there. There's another test, and it's been my experience that the testing gets tougher in life. And so this happened with Jesus. One time it happened a little bit later. It all has to do with the cross, going your own way, not going the way of God. With Peter, man. I mean, Peter finally gets it, Matthew 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? And so Jesus goes, great, you're getting it. I'll tell you what I'm going to have to do. Here's the goal. Here's the plan of God. I've got to go to the chief priest, the scribes. And Peter's like, yeah, 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 and suffer and die. No, 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 no. You're the Messiah. We're going to rule and reign. We're going to be at your right hand. You know, no, 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 no. And then he gets so bold, Peter, you know. I mean, he was like, he's in front of all the other disciples going, no, that is not it. And Jesus has to rebuke him. This is a strong confrontation. And you know what he says, right? Get thee behind me, what? Through Peter himself. 
I mean, this is just another opportune time. Right at the time where it looks like they're getting it, they don't really got it, you know? But where is he trying to tempt through? And then what happens, I mean, you can look at this throughout Matthew 27. I just want to leap to the cross. And those who pass by, Matthew 27, 39 through 44, uh, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You know what they say? If you are the son of God, right there. I mean, man, does that take you back to the wilderness or what? But now it's through the chief priests, scribes, and religious leaders doing exactly what Satan did. Coming back, man, boom. If you are, I mean, hear that, man? The lie is lingering, isn't it? If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Chief priests, scribes, and elders mocked him. He saved others, could not save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Trust in God. Here's that. Does he really love? Does God really love him? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if his desire is for him. Oh, is he the beloved? Let us see it now. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. If you are the Son of God, the question lingers with temptation, with testings. God deeper and harder and more and more and yet Jesus was our victor Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter 2, 22-23 he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten I love this part but continued entrusting himself to him judges justly. He never sinned. He kept entrusting himself to God and to God's plan. He never wavered from God's plan even on the cross when they said, if you are the son of God, no matter what he suffered during his time of testing, he overcame. He passed the test. Whew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we are tested. Our lives will have testing. Jesus is a model for our testing. We need to hide God's word. When God's word comes to us and he teaches us something, that word is going to be tested. Do you treasure that word? Do you believe that word? Do you have faith in that word? Because the tempter is going to come and he's going to test you. He's going to tempt you away from God and his love and what he has spoken to you in his word and he's going to try you Paul talks about this testing of our faith and he puts it in this same context of the new exodus the exodus that Jesus has led the people on in 1 Corinthians 10 and in verse 113 he talks about he goes, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. This is the exodus. They all had the cloud leading them out. They all passed through the sea miraculously, and that was their baptism into Moses and the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food 
They wandered out. They ate the manna. And it says, all drink from the same spiritual rock, that rock that they hit. And he says that rock was Christ, the spiritual rock that followed them and provided water for them in the wilderness. But in verse 5, he says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They all died there, and everybody over the age that didn't believe in entering the promised land had to wander and die there. And he says these things took place as an example for us. So he's looking to us now. He's looking to the church at Corinth. He's saying all these things happened, and he lists these things that happened to them uh, so that we would pass the test and not fail like they did. He's saying, don't be idolaters like some of them were. And then he talks about sexual immorality, and he says, don't be indulged in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. He said, uh, uh, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the, the destroyer. Uh, these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And what he's saying there is pride when you think and that's the, one of the most dangerous times of testing for you in this time. So he says, uh, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So it's this time, uh, the Lenten season we're in now, is humbling ourselves before we realize that the testing is coming. But when the testing is coming, we need to be humble, not uh, self-confident, but confident in him, the one who knew no sin, like Peter said, the one who kept entrusting himself uh, to God, like in this, I'm entrusting myself to you, God. I'm waiting on you, God, to act. I'm waiting on your timing, your way, you know, and that's, this is what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus wants in his followers. So we have this great scripture. I memorized this as a kid in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I never knew the context of what it came in, <laughs> but it says, no temptation has overtaken you. This word is real similar to the saying, it's actually the same as testing, testing, temptations. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common unto man. God is faithful. And I want you to hear that. My focus was not necessarily on that. It was no temptation has overtaken you. It's common unto man. Other people are facing these same temptations, the same old lies that Satan's always done. It's common, these temptations. That's great to do. But I want you to hear that part in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. That's the statement right there. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is exactly how Jesus endured. Um, uh, he was tested. He realized God is faithful. God's plan is faithful. I'm in the wilderness. I'm not uh, in, I'm in the exact position God wants me in. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to act independently of him. And I'm going to look for the way out. He quoted scripture. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. You don't understand, devil, you liar. My sustenance isn't on uh, uh, just physical things for my body. My sustenance is in uh, God, and his word fills me. And he's, he's remembering God's word. And so beyond your ability, but with the temptation, will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And Jesus endured it. He endured those temptations and overcame and uh, it's the same thing with us, beyond our ability. And true faith is that. True faith that God gives you is indestructible. 
in who God is. God is faithful. It's looking to him, not some strength muster up in within yourself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to plunge through. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, it's not an eye focus. It's a focus in this scripture. God is faithful right there in the middle. He will not. He will do. What is God doing? It's looking to God's faithfulness. In Psalm 119, 80, verse 90, it says, In your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth, your word from your mouth. He's like, reminding himself of God's steadfast love that gives him life. This is where my life is. It's in him. It's in God's word that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth, the words from your mouth. And then he, in verse 89, he says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Not just like fixed here, but fixed there. It rules everywhere. What God says goes. His plan goes. His plan rules. His plan is to be trusted in. And his plan is he loves you. <laughs> and he's faithful. And and trust in that, his steadfast love, his word is firmly fixed in the heavens, and he says, your faithfulness endures to how long? To all generations. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. And that, that scripture popped into my head, like, you're faithful to all generations. I was like, you know, you're faithful, God. And then I looked up that psalm, your faithfulness endures to all generations. And then just read the scriptures above that. So God is faithful. His promises. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 1.20, All your promises, God, find their yes in Jesus. All of them. They're in him. I look to him. I look to your faithfulness and the faithfulness that Jesus walked in here. A human being just like me. He stayed faithful and true. That's who I'm looking to. All your promises are yes in him. So I'm relying on those promises. And as you all might experience in your life, where um, don't pass the test quite like Jesus did. You know, we fail the test. And Jesus is so patient and so steadfast in his love for us, he'll just keep us in third grade as long as he needs to until we pass on to fourth. And he goes, hey, I still got that test for you. You want to see if you can pass it now? Like, yeah, let's try it again. Oh, yeah, we did. It's okay. And, and Proverbs, even you know, Proverbs of Solomon, he says this, though the righteous person falls seven times, yet he will rise again. And God just, till that perfect time happens, you're like, good, let's move on to the next one. And he moves you. And I, I believe that's exactly what's saying here in 1 Corinthians 10, in this new Exodus. He's saying, you will not be tempted beyond your ability. There's an ability there with faith. And God's testing different people on different abilities. And when you pass that ability, you pass that test, you're going to move on to the next ability that he's going to test you on. And so get used to that. Get used to that life is um, hard. We used to say, you know, in that song, you know, he never promised you a rose garden. Or, you know, he never, he never promised you that it would just always be, always be easy. And Jesus is living that model, right? He's enjoying God. He's living in the abundant love of God. But that doesn't make his 
life all hunky-dory and easy. And the sooner Christians get that and lengthen that out in this season, like to, to overcome. You remember when you learned something and then you got that, you got tested and then you passed the test, you know, and you overcame with his strength, keeping your focus and fixed on him. You know, it led you into a maturity with Christ that you just want more of. Like, let's have the, you know, I mean, let's have the next test. What are you teaching me now? Because he's always trying to teach us. And when he teaches you something, you're going to be tested on it. Okay? So pay attention. And listen to him. And learn. And overcome. And don't get too down and beat yourself down when you fail. Let's try again, Father. We'll lift you up. Try again. Fail again. Seventh time, Father. Well, this is the perfect time. And now we're going to overcome. Let's overcome. So God gives us that hope. And in this extended time of testing, I pray that we just continue to trust in God with all of our heart and press on with Him. He is the captain of our salvation. And He leads us triumph. Amen? Amen. Let's partake of communion together. <coughs> In the night that Jesus was betrayed, This is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of this and do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together. Almighty God, we just thank you and we praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask that you just help us overcome, for our faith has overcome, and just lead us and guide us and strengthen us in our faith, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.